Hello my lovely, this is Meike Thang, and before we jump into today's amazing episode, I want to let you know that all of this is brought to you by my Ultimate Podcast Guesting Workshop Series. This is something that you might want to look into if you want the A to Z process on how you can book yourself on a line podcast as a guest expert in order to expand your reach to new audiences, grow your email list, and deepen business relationships with fellow leaders as well. And all of this by not having to send a ton of pitches in the process or needing to outsource to an external PR agency. So is this something that you're interested in learning more about? Head on over to the show notes or you can head straight to makeathang.com forward slash UPG to find out if this is a right fit for you. And I recently just added a video widget in the bottom right hand corner. So if you are stuck or if you do have a question that's not quite clear on the invitation page, you can send me a direct message. Please be sure to leave your name and email after your question as well. And I'll get back to you as soon as I can. All right, that's it from me. Now let's get back to the episode. Hello, my lovelies. This is Meike Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover, and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently, and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to The Quiet Rebellion. Hello, my wonderful Quiet Rebels. This episode today is one that I feel like we all should have heard right at the beginning of our businesses because we are talking about integrating an intentional mental health plan into our businesses. Now, I'm very excited about my special guest today, who is Shulamit Berlatov. And she's here with me today to talk all about this. So Shulamit, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Thanks, May Kay, for inviting me. I'm really grateful. Oh, just even like hearing your voice is just so calming. (laughs) (laughs) So lovely. So Shulamit, could you let us know, because this is, because mental health, like I'm not sure if you've seen this in your own clients, in your community, that in the past, I feel that mental health was more of a back burner thing, kind of like, oh, if I can get to it, I can, versus a front-facing priority. So I'm curious, like, have you seen any shift over the last couple of years in the industry of online business around the a restructuring of priority when it comes to mental health? Well, you've pushed a button right oh, off oh, the oh, bat. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because the first thing that happens, I notice this kind of like surge of um, actually straight up anger in me mm. around what I'm seeing happening because, and it's actually twofold, right? So there is something good about it. But the first thing that comes is the rebel in me that just grits its teeth and goes, <laughs> because there is so much more talk, but not much more actual practice. 
And why that bothers me is that it's very crazy making or gaslighty to live in a culture where everybody's like, oh, yes, let's talk. Oh, yes, mental health matters. Oh, yes. And then to be a person who's experiencing issues, challenges, um, and not be received in a way that's congruent with all the talk around it. Um, I saw a meme last week. It's okay. You know, there's a lot of talk around it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that has been a meme that's been going around and someone added a critical take on that. It's okay. And this is a, this is a disability activist. It's okay to be not okay. Unless you can't be productive. You can't conform to standards. You can't, you can't, you can't. Right. So this all comes also back to privilege where the more access to privilege you have, the more okay it is to be not okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the less access to privilege you have, the less okay it is. And so to come back to your question, um, the more access to privilege you have, the more it's okay to talk about mental health and to have mental health challenges and mental health problems. uh, And the less access to privilege, the less okay it is. And um, just like there's been like the corporatization of environmentalism and of LGBTQ stuff and breast cancer and all that stuff, uh, body positivity in quotation marks, right? That has that has co-opted something that's really important. I see a lot of co-opting happening uh, at the corporate level, at the media level, around the mental health conversation. But on the flip side, sadly, with the pandemic over the past three years, the mental health in quotation marks, people's mental well-being and the impact, the the downside of things for many folks, their privilege that ha- stopped insulating them from that. Mm. And so, um, and so we see people now experiencing more impact on their mental well-being, at struggling more. And so there, there is more openness at a personal level for folks who are talking about their personal experience. And that I think is really important because uh, having to front around your emotional challenges or your challenges around your mental well-being is itself does have a negative impact on your mental well-being, right? And so mm-hmm. the fact that there's like a little teeny itty bitty little window in which some folks can start to share their own experience is a very uh, validating and healing thing for others to witness, right? So it's like a double edge. So the trend towards more openness around mental health. There are two sides to it. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Okay, so I'm glad that this was the first question that I asked because clearly there's a lot to unpack here and. What I'm hearing you say uh, that the thing that you know gets the blood boiling and the the anger activated within you is the performative aspect of having conversations around mental health, whereas like you only talk about it, but you rarely do it, and that's a huge problem because you know um, outside of mental health there are many things that people only talk about but not actually do, and the active embodiment part, the practicing part, is where the real work is. 
right so I can absolutely relate to that frustration that you witness out there as like you're talking about it but are you actually doing it and it's always a question of integrity and I love that you brought up the the degree of privilege that we all have access to in in different variations um really kind of paint the picture for how much we feel like we can actually let out and how much we can quote unquote get away with um as well and as a it's really important reality that we need to face Mm -hmm. and privilege itself you know um there's the concept of social determinants of health and those are the external factors in uh like um it has to do with your socioeconomic status, but also where you live in the world, your access to food and housing and all those kinds of things. Those are called the social determinants of health. Uh, and so they're understood as impacting people's physical health. But privilege is a social determinant of health, both physical and mental. Right. And so um, right away, the impact of systems of oppression on a person will mean that they're already at a deficit in that regard, right? Mm -hmm. And it also means that they're at a deficit with regards to access to support. Mm -hmm. So it becomes, you know, it's just important to acknowledge that these, that this is a very complex issue, right? Yes, very complex. And I'm curious to hear your take on, for those of us who do have, quote unquote, more privilege, because that's really relative right like what what is mm-hmm, more mm-hmm. more privilege in compared to who like compared to who so yeah. I'm curious yeah. for those of us who do have a certain amount of privilege wh- wherever we deem to be on a certain scale what can we do with that aside from acknowledge it because we can acknowledge it like how do we not um what's the word I'm looking for kind of like take advantage of it exploit it do you know what I mean like what good can we do mm-hmm. with our privilege is what I'm really trying to ask mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well I'm not an anti-oppression educator <laughs> so this is just a lay answer um based on what I've learned from the anti-oppression folks I've uh learned from and it's to leverage our privilege right yeah. so um and it and and as you say, privilege is relative. It's up to each person to identify what their own privileges are and how they can leverage those. Um, for me, for example, one of the ways I leverage my privilege is people are willing to listen to me. And because of that, you know, because I'm a white Westerner, I'm educated. English is my first language. Um, white, white, I should say white passing Westerner because I'm Jewish. So I'm in, under some circumstances, I'm not considered white. Uh but I do want to acknowledge that I have proximity to whiteness. Mm-hmm. And because of that, people are willing to listen to me. And because I have a degree and I'm licensed and blah, blah, blah. And so um, it's up to me to bring to the table the things that people would not otherwise hear. So, for example, I watched a documentary last week called Deconstructing Karen. And I'll put the link. Uh, I'll give Ooh. you the link so that you can share it with folks. And the way the the way it works in it's called race to dinner it was a documentary about the race to dinner movement and these two women of color a south asian woman and a black us american woman host dinners with white women to talk about race mm-hmm. and what happens is the two facilitators share about racialization and the impact of racialization and their experiences with it in the us and the white women around the table debate them deny 
I, you know, like, how dare you say I'm racist? You know, they get all hurt and they're, you know, it becomes what's called what has come to be known as white fragility. And then the hosts of the dinner, the white women who've invited these two facilitators for the race to dinner event will reiterate what the facilitators have said and the other white women at the table will listen to them where they will call the facilitators, oh, you're nuts. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, you're angry. Oh, you're exaggerating. And then when the white women say the exact same thing that the two facilitators have said, the other white women won't say, oh, you're crazy. Oh, you're exaggerating. Oh, that's too much. Oh, you're just angry. They will listen and entertain the ideas. And that's an illustration of use of privilege, right? And that's kind of how I'm taking my responsibility to leverage my privilege by saying things that people um, that, that because people are willing to listen to me uh, that I, that I, I have a responsibility to say stuff that people maybe don't want to hear, especially, and in particular in my case around mental well-being, mental health and mental illness. And, and that would be kind of one possible example of how folks could use their privilege, but I'm like not the authority on this. So um my invitation would be to be curious about, well, so what are my privileges and how can I use them? Considering that was a, a lay answer, uh, like I really appreciated it as a woman of color myself. So um, because it, that scenario that you just described about when you're the one, <clears throat> when you're the less privileged one in the room, for example, um, and you're saying something and it gets ignored, but when someone else who is more privileged than you says the exact same thing why they are listening to it is ex- incredibly frustrating but right. it's, also, it's also better than not having that point come across at all to the people you're trying to reach so I can appreciate the because I, I, I like I acknowledge I do have privilege myself I am a British citizen for example I English is also my first language I am university educated I have a bachelor's of science degree in psychology and etc etc you know have access to the internet and all all of those things right so I do I do acknowledge my own privilege too and I feel that my role in in this acknowledging that privilege is also providing a platform for voices who I'm not able to speak on these issues that I know that I can't because it's not in my scope of practice and being able to reach those who need to hear this um so this is you know, a part of my role as well, like that that intersection between where my privilege is and also where my marginalization is. And because again, we all have that to varying different degrees. And it's um it's a journey. It's it's a journey to navigate for sure. But I appreciate your answer and I can definitely relate to it as well. And please do link us to that blog post, the destructing yes. Karen and the and that that documentary. Like I don't know if we have that um here in the UK, but I will search for it and see. <laughs> Let's see what we can do but yeah and I realized towards the beginning I, I jumped straight into the question but um and even though your bio is going to be you know where this um podcast is going to be published I would love to kind of backtrack for a moment and ask a bit more about how you got it how you became the entrepreneur's therapist because um I've seen you around for a couple of years now and we've only recently connected I've always known of you you know <laughs> um but this is our first time like really deeply connecting so I'm just curious for those of those of my listeners who don't know you yet, could you share a bit, like backtrack a little bit about why you came to talk about this in the first place? How did you become the entrepreneur's therapist? Mm-hmm. Well, I started school, university in social work, but I got diverted 
and, and ended up doing some other things. And then became in my uh, 40s, became injured in the work that I was doing at the time and had to do my own occupational rehab. And during the course of that diversion where I did, I was employed, uh, I also did things on the side. I became a yoga teacher, a certified yoga teacher. I became a certified trainer in nonviolent communication. I became a certified focusing teacher and guide. And so I was always working with particularly women on their personal and spiritual growth. And when I became injured and I had to do my own occupational rehab, it made sense to go back to my, having done that on the side all along the realm of like mental well-being and personal growth to go back to my roots and go back to school, get my master's in counseling and go into private practice. Uh, but as you probably know from your bachelor's degree, they don't teach you anything about business. Mm -hmm. They teach you how to be a good, like for me, I learned how to be a good clinician. Mm -hmm. We learn how to be good technicians. We we learn our art. We learn our craft. We learn our science, but we don't know anything about running a business. Mm -hmm. And, um, the author of the E-Myth says something. He has a phrase that I really like. Uh, we're technicians having an entrepreneurial seizure because we say, for example, the mechanic says, I, I don't need, I, I, I'm a great mechanic. I don't need a boss. I can just go out and repair cars on my own. And sure. He's a great mechanic or she's a great mechanic, but they don't know about marketing. They don't know about running a business, all that stuff. Right. And so that's why a lot of small businesses fail. And I knew that. So as soon as I left school for my craft, I jumped into business training, business coaching, business programs, and hanging out with other entrepreneurs. And I also eventually opened a group practice of my own. So solo, you know, being a solopreneur or a freelancer is one thing, but running a business with uh, associates and a uh, brick and mortar is another thing. It's another level of business stuff. And I experienced for myself the emotional ups and downs and the enormous stress of running a business. And as a mental health professional, I had a particular lens on what I was going through. As a mental health professional, also hanging out with entrepreneurs, I was the only one. And they would, I was privileged in a privileged position because folks would tell me things that they wouldn't, other entrepreneurs, that they wouldn't tell their fellows, right? Because they, they, know, they know I'm a therapist, so they're more willing to share somewhat more vulnerable things. And I became aware of like the depth of the impact on mental well-being that entrepreneurs experience, that solo practitioner, solo, uh, solopreneurs, self-employed folks, business owners, right? And it became clear that there was a need for someone trained in mental health and mental well-being who also understood business who was available to support entrepreneurs with their mental well-being and with the ups and the emotional ups and downs of running a business and that's how the entrepreneur's therapist was born oh as soon as you said like oh when when you got your training you became you know they don't teach you about business they only teach you about your craft and I I was like yep there's a reason why it's taken so long 
good because I actually trained from when I was 21 years old and um, I'm I'm t- like for anyone who actually doesn't know my age I'm actually 29 right now and I'm turning 30 this year so it's taken me a long time because of the lack of business training and which is which is what all of these years have been you know learning what to do what not to do whilst maintaining the the efficacy of of my craft as well because you know I can't lose that in the name of learning how to run a business because that's the whole point of running the business in the first place so I'm really I'm really glad that you've managed to found to to find uh like a kind of intersection between the two where the the Mm. two sides can coexist and really blend together and I can see that the more that you're showing up you are sharing like how we can find our own integrative ways and that's the whole point of our conversation today so I'm super super grateful that you um are here with us to talk about this so Mm. thank you so much for sharing your story and now that we can get into the quote-unquote meat and potatoes, and for anyone who's vegan or vegetarian, like please insert your vegan slash vegetarian. The beans. <laughs> um, the, yes, the beans or the, the tofu. Like, I love tofu <laughs> myself. Anyhow, um, let's get into like that part of the conversation. So I know this can be a very broad question, so I'm very curious where it could go. What are the most common risk factors that you see in entrepreneurs Um yeah, what are the, the kind of yeah what are the most common risk factors in mental health you see in entrepreneurs today mm. well i i will speak from my experience with in my life with my colleagues and with clients so this is not um you know gold standard research uh the thing that people mention the most is isolation mm. And coming back to the social determinants of health, social isolation is a social determinant of health. It's that the research shows that, that it has an impact on everyone. It impacts entrepreneurs and self-employed folks in a particular way. The nature of our isolation is unique. Um, The first is that as entrepreneurs, we are few and far between. Like online, we're everywhere. But if you look around yourself, if you look on your street or in your neighborhood, your area, the majority of folks have jobs. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't just go to the nearest gathering place and easily find another entrepreneur or self-employed person. Although more so now since the pandemic, but regardless. And then if you're fam, fem, non-binary, or a woman or a trans person, these you're even more isolated as an entrepreneur because it's hard to find your folks, right? Yeah. So there are fewer. The, the, the pool gets smaller and our isolation becomes greater. Another aspect of our isolation is the fact that we are surrounded by, if we're service providers or we're running businesses, we're surrounded by people, but we're alone because we're the leader. So we have mm-hmm. clients, we have a team, we have associates, we have um, maybe employees, but we are holding space for them. So there are people everywhere nobody's holding emotional space for us. So we're lonely amidst a crowd, you know? And so our isolation, you know, is it's our, our, our kind of isolation is unique and over, Oh yes. And then we're often, we're working very hard. We're also very busy. So even if we do have peers, it's hard to get together. It's hard to find time, right. Or make time. And so this has such an impact on folks and, and without, um, because there's a lack of support available for us, um, like access, there are barriers to access because cash can be a, an issue, 
entrepreneurial poverty is a thing, right? We're not all Jeff Bezos. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, having disposable cash to hire a therapist or even business cash within the business to have a coach, to have somebody who gets mental health and entrepreneurship, like there are, even if we wanted to address our isolation by uh, getting, seeking support, the access, there are many barriers to access, right? So our isolation is, I would say extreme, really, mm. uh, and and difficult to address even if we wanted to. And so that, I would say, is the biggest, it has the biggest impact. It's the factor that has the biggest impact on our mental health outside of straight up cash flow. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's not a mental health issue. That's a business issue. But it is important to recognize that, um, you know, when you, if you don't have enough cash in your business, you're going to be shitting. You're going to be, is it okay if I swear? Yeah, yeah. I hope it's, it's okay that it's I fine. swear. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be, you're going to be shitting, right? You're going to be freaking out. And that, that also has an impact on your mental well being, but it's, it's not a mental health factor like isolation is. Okay. So. When you started talking about this isolation, I it suddenly became aware. Um, I, I suddenly became aware of how true this is because when you said, "Oh, everyone around you has jobs," so over the weekend, like at the time of this recording, um, over the previous weekend, um, so me and my friends we still have like sleepovers, which sounds so like <laughs> it sounds like you know something that you only do in your childhood, but no, we are fully grown adults and we still have sleepovers. <laughs> and there was so many times during that time together where they were talking about their experiences in corporate life and and the kind of co-workers that they had to deal with and the drag the dragging of their feet that they have to get up for their nine to fives or things like that all things that I cannot relate to because I'm extremely grateful that I've designed this lifestyle for myself where I get to choose most of the time I get to choose who I associate with I get to choose who I work with client wise um who is in my orbit who is in my inner circle and so I'm very grateful that I don't need to deal with um people that I don't have to like of course if I'm if I'm speaking with someone around a constructive way to provide criticism that's very different versus someone who's just full-on being a troll you know trying to you know just spreading hate for no reason but like I can escape their proximity from blocking you know and I have very important um safeguarding procedures um and cybersecurity measures in place to for my literal sense of safety in my body but all that to say that I honestly couldn't relate to a lot of um a lot of their conversations so all I could do is just sit there and listen and then when you said about what it's like to be a leader how isolating that could be because I I am a manifester in terms of human design and we naturally lead the way um, for things that haven't been done before. So that is a lot of questioning of what, what everyone else is thinking or doing and kind of going the other way. And that is very lonely. And so I found um, connecting with fellow manifestors um, who are in this kind of leadership position, like how do they feel about it? And we all share the struggle of what it's like, but like we're going against what everyone else is already doing. And that is terrifying because, you know, I'm, cause I'm trained as a copywriter as well. So I'm going against my training because my training says only write the things that come up in your voice of customer data that's in like it needs to be informed by other people all the time and being a manifesto is actually the opposite of that it's like no you are informed by your your creative urges um that's where your ideas are and your 
no, sorry, you're not informed by your creative urges. Your, your creative urges are things you need to inform others about, and therefore, mm, um, mm. Basic, basically, leading the way blindly. And as you know, no, I really shouldn't say that. That's um, that's ableist language. Okay, you're leading the way without an already drawn map, right? So you're trusting the guidance of your inner compass, and that's not really something that we are taught to do. We're taught to follow more than we are to lead, and so oh, basically, big revelation, big revelation there. So isolation and what i'm hearing from you is that the this sense of isolation amplifies um depending on which kind of lived experiences or um identities that you have um depending on which groups you are associated with um by nature or associated with by choice um your isolation can amplify as a result of that as an entrepreneur in particular yes right because i mean let's say that you're a non-binary person and you're hanging you've got your non-binary community but in that community how many of them are entrepreneurs mm-hmm. right yep and now it's making so much sense why um like honestly there's the okay shout out to uh, gabby waltz because uh, she's actually one of my best friends and i met her during the a time of a mastermind and we were instant friends and i knew that i wanted her to like be like a bridesmaid or someone in that like high-ish position um, on the day of my wedding, for example, versus friends who I've had for over a decade, like nearly two decades now. I'm like, why do I feel so much closer to, um, you know, Gabby for some time? And I realized it's because I don't feel that sense of isolation with her because she gets it, right? Yeah. And um, the kind of conversations you have are wildly different from those who are in my literal circle, um, like, quote unquote in real life like basically not on the internet and I just find that really fascinating like why do I feel a sense of closeness to people who are actually literally geographically further away from me versus those who are geographically closer why do I feel that distance and it's because of this isolation that you're thinking of um and that you're speaking of um being an entrepreneur is a very isolating way of being and is only amplified by the pan the, the pandemic amongst other things so oh wow like mind blown ah (laughs) so you shared about the risk factors so how can we even get started I know this is like a huge umbrella kind of uh question and so again I'm curious about where this can go how can we even get started with integrating integrating um mental health practices into our businesses to really kind of safeguard ourselves and have it to be very intentional versus something that's oh, I'll just deal with it if it comes, a kind of back burner approach. Like, what can we do to put it on the front burner? Mm-hmm. Well, it's January. And in <laughs> January, what are we doing in general? What are entrepreneurs? What's the big theme around December, January, Q1 for entrepreneurs? What's the big theme? It's New Year's revolutions, goals. Uh, yep. Yeah, that. <laughs> goals, planning, right? Business planning. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so every business in theory has a plan and the plan includes a financial plan, a marketing plan, a cash flow forecast, all those things, right? We do this for our business. And I assert that that same model can serve us around our mental well-being. So we can identify there's a, there's a, just like with business planning, there's the complex theory and then there's the actual practice. So the complex theory is that you have this, beautiful business plan and you do quarterly planning and then you do monthly planning and then you do weekly planning and then you do your weekly check-ins, you can make a mental health plan in that same way that is laid out that same way. 
Um, so you can identify, and then I'm going to talk about the simple way, because if like as entrepreneurs, the last thing we need is another complex thing to implement, right? So if, <laughs> so if when I, it, when I'm talking about this beautiful plan and you're, and you're listening to this and going, I'm shutting this off because I cannot handle one more complex thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to explain the theory and then give you a simple version so that, you know, you have, you can find your way forward, hopefully with this. So the principle is that for your mental well-being, you can understand what your key performance indicators are, what your lag and lead indicators are. So a lead indicator is the thing, the tactic, the thing you do that leads to an outcome. And the outcome is your lag indicator. It's the result, right? Tactics and results. So you should understand. And if you can, you can take some time to reflect about what are the things that have an effect on my mental well-being. Those are the lead indicators, the external conditions, but also my what I do. For example, my like what we call in quotation marks self-care, but it's so much more than manicures. It's really about like, for example, you're in my opinion, a shining example of holistic self-care because your concerns for safety and for good boundaries, that's true self-care, right? And so in my opinion, that's an example of a lead indicator. You have structured your business in such a way that it protects your mental well-being. That's a lead indicator. And you know that if, for example, one of those things were to fail, then you would know the lag indicator would be that your nervous system might be dysregulated and you might have to take a couple months break, right? Mm. So having knowledge of what are the things that I need to do for my own self-care and what are the external conditions that have an impact on me and, and, and having them somewhere formal so that you've reflected and understand what they are, then you can look at how do I want to feel this month? What do I need to do this month to make sure or to, increase the likelihood that I'm going to feel the way I want to feel and to, and to understand what your lag indicators are so that the symptoms of I'm not doing well, or I am doing well. So that then when you do your weekly review, you do just like with your business, you celebrate your wins, you look at what worked and what didn't work. And what are you going to do more of? And you, because you already know, when you sit down and you can check your lag indicators, you can say, uh, like, what are the symptoms in quotation marks? And you would have a checklist and you can just go, yes, I'm sleeping well. Yes, I'm able to concentrate. Like, you know that if things are going poorly for you and everybody's different, right? Not everybody's sleep is affected. But if you know for yourself that sleep is an issue, you're going to check in on your sleep on a regular basis, right? And if it's not going well, then you check your lead indicators oh, well, there was a lot of stress in my business this week. So no wonder I'm not sleeping very well. Self-compassion, right? Not why am I not sleeping well? What's the matter with me? But rather I'm not sleeping well. Oh, and I know why. Because look at the lead indicators. I didn't have enough social uh, interaction, enough support this week around the stress I was experiencing. I need to make sure to call my therapist or to get on the phone with my biz bestie, right? So you... You, you review the past week and set your quote unquote goals for the coming week. And so it can be as complex as you want or as simple as you want. The simplest way 
to, is to put your mental well-being on the table in every business conversation you have. So you can just say to your coach, hey, listen, the first five minutes of every conversation, I just want to do a, little, a quick mental well-being check-in with you. Uh, and the coach doesn't have to be trained in any way. Coaches know how to listen. All the coach has to do is listen for you while you do a quick run through and they can reflect to you. If you've said things that you then missed, you didn't hear yourself say, they just feed it back to you or your biz bestie can do the same thing as well. You can just say, Hey, this is our uh, goals accountability meeting, but I want to make, take the first five minutes to just check in on my mental well being and see where I'm at with that. Right. So um, I have a handout, which I will um, send, give you, you know, you can put the link in the yep. chat I'll, that I'll, lays I'll this out. To say, I'll say, like, if there's something that we can do to refer to yeah. about all of this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's a, I usually do a four hour workshop where we do this work together. And I've just given you like five minutes <laughs> on the four hour workshop. So I just want to say, if um, you're feeling overwhelmed hearing this, no wonder, because it's a lot. And so, and I'm, uh, but that, that would be, that would be, that's my answer to your question about how do we put our mental health, our mental well-being um, into our businesses as entrepreneurs. I I love this because it's already templatizing something that we already do in our business, but just in a different context. So at the time of this recording um, is tax season, um, at least in the UK anyway. And so I've had, I have a very clear a bird's eye view of where my expenses are, where where my my key income drivers and all of that, so I can plan ahead for you know my future expenses, like like which tools and software do I keep using, like how much do I need for that? And what I'm hearing from you is um having that same foresight for our mental health and actually documenting our the big expenses that. that um, that come as a result of doing certain actions, taking note of that. So that way we have a more responsive way of looking at our mental health as opposed to a reactive one. Because when we don't plan, that's when we're reactive and we do things in the moment. And if we don't keep track of that, then we're never going to know why is it that we feel drained all the time or what, why do we feel like X um, like indicator, you know? <laughs> um, so I yeah. love that. And thank you so much for offering a resource as well. And um, letting us know that there is a workshop, <laughs> uh, you know, should we want to take those further steps? So let's, um, so look, so, okay, this is a lot to take in, but we now know that there is a way to get started. So thank you again for just make, you made it easy just by saying like, look, we already do this for our marketing plans, for our, our financial plans. So why can't we do it for mental health? Well, we can right? Yeah. Yep. Plans are how we anticipate risk and mitigate it in our business. And it's mm -hmm. the same. I love that you use the word template. It's the same idea transferred from business to mental well-being. Yes. Oh, okay. So we've already got the skills. We just need a different perspective that we are applying exactly. those skills to. So, oh, I love it. Yep. Okay. All right. So I know that the, this conversation can have a part two a part three a part four <laughs> uh, moving forward but as this is this could be like a part one we might have like a you know another one later on down the line but for anybody who is just kind of listening to all of this for the first time and they just need a grounding spot like an, an anchor right now what would be one sort of key takeaway or a nugget of wisdom you'd love to leave our listeners today two things the first is mental health risks are inherent in entrepreneurship they are inherent in the work that we do. So 
when you have struggles, emotional struggles, struggles with your mental health, struggles with your well-being, there's nothing wrong with you. It's the natural consequence of the work in which you are engaged. <sighs> that felt like a huge sigh of relief. Um, I can't speak for anyone who's listening, of course, but I can imagine that they may feel something akin to that because yes, we went into business probably for freedom reasons um, so that we could do things on the schedule that we like. So we can have a degree of choice, a stronger degree of choice than if we were to have um, a day job or a night job, whatever kind of job outside mm-hmm. of this. And yes, there are ups and downs. There are pros and cons to every decision that we ever make and what I'm hearing you reflect back to us is that this is a part of it and that's okay. And we can work with that. We don't have to work against it. We don't have to kind of like shake our fist angrily at our humanity, (laughs) you know, that we're not robots, that we can't operate um, 24, 7, 365. There is a reason why the, this conversation, there's a reason why I brought this to the podcast today with you, because we know it deep down, but we need to hear it a bit more. So Sheila, me, your insights today are so valuable. And so I just want to say thank you so much for coming onto mm-hmm. the podcast to speak about this today. And for anyone who I'm sure hasn't, um, for anyone who hasn't gotten to know you yet, I'm sure there's a lot of them that will from now on. So I'd love for you to share where can we connect with you after this interview? So drop your links. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sure. My website is entrepreneurstherapist.click. That's the easy way to find me rather than having to worry about spelling my name and all that stuff. Uh, You can also find me. I'm the entrepreneur's therapist on Instagram. And I love the thing I love the most about Instagram is the DMs. I love that we can connect with one another in this way. And so my door is wide open for folks to jump in the DMs and um, let me know what comes up for them having listened to this or questions that they might have, things they want clarification about from what they heard today. Those are the, I'm also on LinkedIn. So you're welcome to, and there's a DM function on LinkedIn too. (laughs) So I'm totally game for that. I'm I'm an extrovert uh, in the sense that I'm energized by speaking to people. Uh, and so the door is open. I'd be happy to have a chat. Yes. So be sure to drop all of those links. So, so don't worry, Rebels. I've got you. Don't need to worry about spelling. I'll take care of that. There will be all the links, as well as the Deconstructing Karen blog post, the resource that you mentioned about helping us plan for our mental health moving forward. Um, and I'll also ask you to like send me the link for your workshop. So for those who are interested in whether it's an evergreen thing or whether it's uh, something that we get on the waitlist for, I'll make sure that that's in the links because um, I'd love for my quiet, my quiet Rebels community to connect with you in that way should they want to take that next step with you. Thank you. Very welcome. All right. So as we start to wrap up, there are two final questions that I have for you. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Number one is what makes you a quiet rebel? Well, one of the things I, uh, this is revealing a little bit of my, my, um, my own insecurity. Uh, from like childhood, really, um, I would look at the cool kids and you could, you could see who was the cool kids. You could tell by the way they looked. Right. And I still, to this day, don't look like the cool kids, but inside I'm so different from the folks who look like me. 
And that's part of like, I'm like a, I'm like a, uh, like a fifth column or something. I look like my looks conform, right. But on the inside, I really don't. (laughs) And so that's part of what makes me a quiet rebel. And the other thing I would say makes me a quiet rebel is um, I espouse and practice to the best of my capacity, principled nonviolence. And it's a very strong and courageous stand as it's taught, not to say that I'm strong and courageous per se, but in Kingian nonviolence teaches that it's courageous to be nonviolent and that it's really going against the stream to be, to espouse and uh, embody principled nonviolence. And that is the quiet and rebellious uh, one, uh, the quiet and the other side of the quiet and rebellious part of me. Oh, I love that. I've never heard anyone speak about principled nonviolence before. So I definitely need to look that up and just look more into that because that just seems so resonant. And what I'm hearing from you as well is the nonconformist side as well. Not not for the sake of giving the middle finger for for what the status quo is, for example, but it's just because it just doesn't align and that's okay. You know, you can coexist with the, who, who you deem as cool kids, but who knows someone will look to you and see how you are and deem you as a cool kid that you probably don't realize. Right? <laughs> so that's, that's all a perception. <laughs> right. So you never know. I think you're pretty cool. Perhaps. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So that's what makes you a quiet rebel. And my final question to you is what is one weird fact or a fun story about you that no one else knows on the internet? I, I, well, many people know I love to sing, but what is not well known is that I really love old timey and bluegrass and barbershop and that I actually sang in a women's barbershop choir. I would do it again if I could find one now, but I just, I love harmony. Harmony is like, ugh, to be in the midst of a group of people singing parts, mm. there's a thing that happens, the harmonics, if people are familiar with it, where there's there's like, the, the, sometimes we call it the angels, where the angels come, where the harmonies are just right. And there's like this glittery, glimmery kind of like presence that just hovers above and around us, you, when the harmonies come, uh, when it's just right. And I just love, which is why I love old timey and barbershop and um, bluegrass because of the harmony. I love singing harmony. Oh, that that beautiful picture that you just painted for us—the the glittery. Um, I wouldn't quite call it a shield, but like you're you're basking in this glow. You're basking in this yes. glittery presence. Um, and I can I can visualize that not just the glittery part, but the feeling that that arises mm. as a result of that. The literal. harmony the harmonization that's happening between you as people let alone the voices so that's a whole magical picture (laughs) and please like if you do wind up joining another another uh what you say barbershop barbershop yeah yeah if you if you do join another one and if you record anything please do let us know because i would love (laughs) i would love to like just listen because um i find that really fascinating if i had the voice for it because I do actually eventually want to take singing, singing lessons, um, but that's for a future goal. But anyhow, um, but I'm always fascinated when whenever I see groups harmonize as well. It's just a beautiful thing to witness. And so good to know that um, there may be someone a bit closer. Well, 
allow me to twist your arm because all my life I wanted to take voice lessons. And it was always something that I said was for a later time when I had money. And I discovered that it actually doesn't cost very much and it is transformative. I was, uh, I forget, 50 something finally when I took voice lessons and I wish I had done it in my youth. And so, you know, within your own context, let me friend in a friendly manner, twist your arm to consider maybe doing it sooner rather than later because it's transformative. It's a whole, it's a whole spiritual, personal growth journey above and beyond the simple uh singing mm-hmm. all right I, I will take the twisted arm and like by the I do know jujitsu so if someone did twist my arm in the back I actually do know how to get out of that but <laughs> but I wouldn't so now I'm, I'm on the but, floor no 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 remember non-violence non-violence um I only do that in uh for self-defense if someone genuinely had the intention of attacking me but because I knew that yours is friendly intention I don't need to resort to that <laughs> But I appreciate that nudge forward. And actually, I'm doing a body version of that in terms of um, because I'm learning different styles of dancing. And one of my dance teachers, one of my dance teachers said, if you couldn't speak, what would your body tell you? And I thought that was a beautiful expression. And I thought, yeah, what what does my body say? Does it scream doubt? Does it scream confidence or exploration? Um, Someone because I. I'm I'm very self-critical like when I when I dance like, oh I didn't do that right da, da, da. is it that has been a mental mm. health journey actually it's like oh how much does my negative self-talk come into it but mm. um a friend of mine who's watched me grow she said to me you have a very sensual way of dancing so there doesn't need to be a distinctive movement between one and the next for you so what I used to think was like messy and blendy um in my movement she's like no no no. you have a sensual way of dancing and it's mesmerizing mm. to watch and I was like mm. oh that's so nice <laughs> so we're on our respective journeys of um accessing yeah. a different type of our voice and so um I, I really hope that you find the people that will you know be your next barbershop and I I will let you know when you don't need to twist the arm anymore like hey I'm on the journey now <laughs> with, the, with the actual voice work <laughs> cool but anyhow Sheila Meet, you have been a tremendous guest. Thank you so, so much for being here with us today. For anyone, again, who wants to connect um, with you, I'll make sure to pop all of the links that you've mentioned today, how to connect with you and the additional resources too. So thank you so much. Thanks, Mickey. And so, my lovely, there we have it. So everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes. So be sure to head for that link. And if you haven't done so already, I would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation. And of course, if you feel cool too, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet ripples find us. Oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back same place, same time next week for another episode of the Choir Rebels podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.